you are familiar with the history of India's struggle for independence, most of which took place in the 19th and the 20th century, before India got freedom from the British Empire in 1947, you would have heard the name of Bhagat Singh. He was a young revolutionary who fought for India's independence struggle and eventually he was hanged by the British Empire for all the violent revolutionary acts he did. He is celebrated as a hero today in India. When he was hanged, he was just 23. And uh, right after his student years, he had become a revolutionary and kind of an idealist, you could, you could say, was influenced by the Russian Revolution, the communist ideas. So he was a romantic in true sense. And he chased freedom beyond everything. We've just witnessed his death anniversary on 23rd March. And uh, I thought this should be a good time to talk about him. And here in this podcast, since we do talk about books, let me talk about his book called why am an atheist? Most of his writings were done when he was in jail waiting for his sentence. And uh, you find that uh, he's writing with a lot of intellectual honesty. And you can see he's well read even at that young age. And more than anything, what I find really interesting is that in that India when most of the people were religious, most of the people were forget the education or science, they were illiterate. In that India, he was talking about atheism. He was challenging the ideas of gods and religions. So while he was challenging the outsider enemy, the British Empire, he was also challenging his own traditions. And those ideas are found in the book. The book, as I said, is called Why I'm an Atheist. So let me read a few paragraphs from his writings and how does he view his atheism? How does he view the religions? What are his thoughts and where are they coming from? So, let's start. Our forefathers evolved faith in some kind of supreme being. Therefore, one who ventures to challenge the validity of that faith or denies the existence of God shall be called a kafir or infidel or a renegade even if his arguments are so strong that it is impossible to refute them, 
If his spirit is so strong that he cannot be bowed down by the threats of misfortune that may befall him through the wrath of the Almighty, he shall be decried as vainglorious. Then why should we waste our time in such discussions? This question has come before the people for the first time. Hence the necessity and usefulness of such long discussions. As far as the first question is concerned, I think I have made it clear that I did not turn atheist because of vanity. Only my readers, not I, can decide whether my arguments carry weight. If I were a believer, I know in the present circumstances my life would have been easier, the burden lighter. My disbelief in God has turned all the circumstances too harsh and this situation can deteriorate further. Being a little mystical can give the circumstances a poetic turn. But I need no opiate to meet my end. I am a realistic man. I want to overpower this tendency in me with the help of reason. I am not always successful in such attempts. But it is man's duty to try and make efforts. Success depends on chance and circumstances. Now we come to the second question. If it is not vanity, there ought to be some sound reason for rejection of age-old belief in God. Yes, I come to this question. I think that any man who has some reasoning power always tries to understand the life and people around him with the help of this faculty. Where concrete proofs are lacking, philosophy creeps in. As I have indicated, one of my revolutionary friends used to say that philosophy is the outcome of human weakness. Our ancestors had the leisure to solve the mysteries of the world, its past, its present and its future, its whys and wherefores, but having been terribly short of direct proofs, every one of them tried to solve the problem in his own way. Hence we find wide differences in the fundamentals of various religious creeds. Sometimes they take very antagonistic and conflicting forms. We find differences in oriental and occidental philosophies. There are differences even amongst various schools of thoughts in each hemisphere. In Asian religions, the Muslim religion is completely incompatible with the Hindu faith. In India itself, Buddhism and Jainism are sometimes quite separate from Brahmanism. Then in Brahmanism itself, we find two conflicting sects, Arya Samaj and Sanatan Dharam. Charvak is yet another independent thinker of the past ages. He challenged the authority of God. All these faiths differ on many fundamental questions, but each of them claims to be the only true religion. This is the root of the evil. Instead of developing the ideas and experiments of ancient thinkers, thus providing ourselves with the ideological weapon for the future struggle, lethargic, idle and fanatical as we are, we cling to orthodox religion and in this way reduce human awakening 
to a stagnant pool. It is necessary for every person who stands for progress to criticize every tenet of old beliefs. Item by item, he has to challenge the efficacy of old faith. He has to analyze and understand all the details. If, after rigorous reasoning, one is led to believe in any theory or philosophy, his faith is appreciated. His reasoning may be mistaken and even fallacious, but there is chance that he will be corrected because reason is the guiding principle of his life. But belief, I should say, blind belief is disastrous. It deprives a man of his understanding power and makes him reactionary. Any person who claims to be a realist has to challenge the truth of old beliefs. If faith cannot withstand the onslaught of reason, it collapses. After that, his task should be to do the groundwork for new philosophy. This is the negative side. After that comes in the positive work in which some material of the olden times can be used to construct the pillars of new philosophy. As far as I am concerned, I admit that I lack sufficient study in this field. I had a great desire to study the oriental philosophy, but I could get ample opportunity or sufficient time to do so. But so far as I reject the old-time beliefs, it is not a matter of countering belief with belief. Rather, I can challenge the efficacy of old beliefs with sound arguments. We believe in nature and that human progress depends on the domination of man over nature. There is no conscious power behind it. This is our philosophy. Being atheist, I ask a few questions from theists. First, if, as you believe, there is an almighty, omnipresent, omniscient God who created the earth or universe, please let me know, first of all, as to why he created this world, this world which is full of woe and grief and countless miseries, where not even one person lives in peace. Second, pray don't say it is his law. If he is bound by any law, he is not omnipotent. Don't say it is his pleasure. Nero burnt one Rome. He killed a very limited number of people. He caused only a few tragedies, all for his morbid enjoyment. But what is his place in history? By what names do we remember him? All the disparaging epithets are hurled at him. Pages are blackened with invective diatribes condemning Nero, the tyrant, the heartless, the wicked. One Genghis Khan killed a few thousand people to seek pleasure in it, and we hate the very name. Now, how will you justify your all-powerful, eternal Nero, who every day, every moment continues his pastime of killing people? How can you support his doings which surpass those of Genghis Khan in cruelty and in misery inflicted upon people? I ask why the Almighty created this world which is nothing but a living hell, a place of constant and bitter unrest. Why did he create a man when he had the power not to do so? 
Have you any answers to these questions? You will say that it is to reward the sufferer and punish the evildoer in the hereafter. Well, well, how far will you justify a man who first of all inflicts injuries on your body and then applies soft and soothing ointment on them? How far the supporters and organizers of gladiator bouts were justified in throwing men before half-starved lions later to be cared for and looked after well if they escaped this horrible death. That is why I ask, was the creation of man intended to derive this kind of pleasure? Open your eyes and see millions of people dying of hunger in slums and huts dirtier than the grim dungeons of prisons. Just see the laborers patiently or say apathetically while the rich vampires suck their blood. Bring to mind the wastage of human energy that will make a man with little common sense shiver in horror. Just observe rich nations throwing their surplus produce into the sea instead of distributing it among the needy and deprived. There are palaces of kings built upon the foundations laid with human bonds. Let them see all this and say, All is well in God's kingdom. Why so? This is my question. You are silent. All right. I proceed to my next point. You, the Hindus, would say, Whosoever undergoes sufferings in this life must have been a sinner in his previous birth. It is tantamount to saying that those who are oppressors now were godly people then in their previous births. For this reason alone, they hold power in their hands. Let me say it plainly that your ancestors were shrewd people. They were always in search of petty hoxes to play upon people and snatch from them the power of reason. Let us analyze how much this argument carries weight. Those who are well versed in the philosophy of jurisprudence relate three of four justifications for the punishment that is to be inflicted upon a wrongdoer. These are revenge, reform and deterrence. The redistribution theory is now condemned by all the thinkers. Deterrent theory is on the anvil for its flaws. Reformative theory is now widely accepted and considered to be necessary for human progress. It aims at reforming the culprit and converting him into a peace-loving citizen. But what in essence is God's punishment, even if it is inflicted on a person who has really done some harm? For the sake of argument, we agree for a moment that a person committed some crime in his previous birth and God punished him by changing his shape into a cow, cat, tree or any other animal. You may enumerate the number of these variations in godly punishment to be at least 84 lakhs. Tell me, has this tomfoolery perpetrated in the name of punishment any reformative effect on human man? How many of them have you met who were donkeys in the previous births for having committed any sin? Absolutely no one of this sort. The so-called theory of Puranas is nothing but a fairy tale. I do not have any intention to bring this 
unutterable trash under discussion. Do you really know the most cursed sin in this world is to be poor? Yes, poverty is a sin. It is a punishment. Cursed be the theoretician, jurist or legislature who proposes such measures as push man into the quagmire of more heinous sins. Did it not occur to your all-knowing God or he could learn the truth only after millions had undergone untold sufferings and hardships? What according to your theory is the fate of a person who by no sin of his own has been born into a family of low caste people? He is poor so he cannot go to a school. It is his fate to be shunned and hated by those who are born into a high caste. His ignorance, his poverty and the contempt he receives from others will harden his heart towards society. Suppose that he commits a sin. Who shall bear the consequences? God or he or the learned people of that society? What is your view about those punishments inflicted upon the people who were deliberately kept ignorant by selfish and proud Brahmins? If by chance these poor creatures heard a few words of your sacred books, Vedas, these Brahmins poured melted lead into their ears. If they committed any sin, who was to be held responsible? Who was to bear the brunt? My dear friends, these theories have been coined by the privileged classes. They try to justify the power they have usurped and the riches they have robbed with the help of such theories. Perhaps it was the writer Upton Sinclair who wrote, Somewhere only make a man firm believer in the immortality of a soul, then rob him of all that he possesses. He will willingly help you in the process. The dirty alliance between religious preachers and possessors of power brought the boon of prisons, gallows, knouts and above all such theories for the mankind.